Good morning, good morning. We're going to start Sunday school now. And I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. So the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with thy most gracious favor, and further us with thy continual help, that, that in all our works, begun, continued, and ended in thee, we may glorify thy holy name, and finally, by thy mercy, obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. So we are going to continue our Sunday school class. We've been off for two weeks, which is really disastrous, but we will deal with it. Um, so before we even begin, we have our stalwart monk standing on this cliffside hermitage. Um, can anyone tell me what we've been talking about? What are these classes about? Asceticism. Discipline. Okay, so asceticism is discipline. Um, and we explored some of the uh, biblical and traditional uh, reasons that asceticism and spiritual discipline is important. So that was the first lesson. The second lesson, which was the last class we had, what did we talk about in particular? You want to remember? talked about prayer. Prayer. We talked about prayer and the threefold rule of prayer. Remember the prayer sandwich. Your bread is the mass. Your meat and cheese, the daily offices. Your mayo mustard is your personal devotions. So today we're going to be tackling fasting, everyone's favorite part of Lent. Um, and just to give you a heads up going forward, as I see it, we're probably going to have two lessons left in this class. Uh, the next class, we're going to cover almsgiving, which also gets into charitable works. And I think I've decided on the last class, everyone please bring your prayer book if you're here for the last class, because we're going to talk about the prayer book. We have a whole bunch of new confirmands who receive brand new shiny prayer books. And if they're here or out there on YouTube land, please bring your prayer book. And we'll actually show you how to use it to pray your offices. Because I realize sometimes we go through these lessons and somebody's like, what is this? I don't know what I'm doing. It took me a long time to finally figure it out, but it's easy once you finally get it. But today, we're talking about Christian asceticism with the emphasis on fasting. All right, everybody, can someone just raise their hand and give me what, what they think is a quick and dirty idea of what fasting involves, what it is, why we do it? And I'm going to give it a shot. Yes, Bob. Uh, the abstinence from food or other things in order to get, become more like Christ. Right. That, that's a really great basic definition. That's, uh, class is over. We're done. That's fasting right there. <laughs> um, so, yes, an outline for fasting and asceticism. Um, we're going to talk about what is fasting, which Bob just discussed. We're going into that a little more detail. We're going to go into the purpose of fasting. Why should you do this? And... We're going to have several points we're going to hit on the purpose of fasting. Um, we're going to see how it's entwined with the prayer rule and how it forms part of a holistic structure of the spiritual life. We're going to talk about discipline, why it's important, subduing the passions, and we're going to talk about writing the hierarchy of goods. Then we're going to go on for suggestions for fasting, um, which is mostly just practical things. We're going to talk a little bit about particular fast, believe it or not. Anglicans actually have rules for fasting. They're not extensive. They are in the prayer book. That means if you break them, you can't come to this church. No. 
And then we're going to talk about what I think is really important, the knife's edge. We'll, we'll get there. All right, fasting. No uh, wine, no meat, right? Eating fish all the time. Sounds really boring. So let's talk about what is fasting. As Bob said, fasting is abstaining from something. You always associate it with food, right? In Lent, fish fries on Friday, people giving up alcohol, sugar, chocolate. But it's more than just not eating or drinking. And I would even say that the fast itself is just an outward sign of what's supposed to be happening on the inside. Because what we're doing in fasting is we're refraining from something that's good in itself. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with good beer and whiskey. Keep it, you know, moderate. You know, I would even go so far as to say if you smoke an occasional cigar, you're fine. Just don't smoke every day. All these things are good. They're pleasurable. And God created these things for us. So we're not getting rid of these because they're bad. As Father Paul says, when you fast, do not fast from sin, because you should never be sinning, right? So we should, we're going to fast from something that's good in and of itself. Um, there's many different ways of fasting. Traditionally, it involves food, and the tra- traditional foods are meat, dairy products, eggs, um, oil is another one. Um, Drink primarily alcohol because they didn't have coffee and tea in the New Testament times. A lot of times people give up coffee and tea or other beverages. And sexual activity is also a type of fast. Um, If we look at the Hebrew scriptures, we can see that many holy men practiced the Nazarite vow, which was abstinence from certain types of food, alcohol. But they would also refrain from shaving or cutting their hair. And that could be considered a type of fast, to refrain from cutting your hair. And actually, Paul does this in the New Testament. Okay, so the important part is fasting is an outward sign of an inward act of the will. And so what do we mean by that? So if you fast, really what's going on inside is you're trying to calm yourself and realize what's important and put God first. God comes before a stake. God comes before a TV show. God comes before a cigar. Um, And so by fasting, you're basically reminding yourself of what's most important. And it should be a continual act of recollection because it's the inner will. If you, we'll go into this, but if you fast from something and you're bitter about it or you're exceedingly proud of it, look, I've gone the whole Lent without, you know, touching one bit of meat without smoking at all and without drinking anything other than water man I am doing good that inward act of the will is not lining up with the outward act of the fast so we're trying to get these two to correlate because it's the inner act that's the most important and the interior fast the act of the will is what's meant to draw us closer into a relationship with God so to our next slide uh, we're going to do a, a small apologetics part, because uh, a lot of times people say, well, fasting, that's Old Testament stuff. That's, that's the Mosaic law, and we don't, the church doesn't do that. The church got rid of all those laws, you know, we're under the liberty of Christ. Wasn't Paul all about getting rid of um, those old-fashioned traditional values of the Pharisees? The Pharisees practice those things. Well, that would work, except that it's a complete lie, because fasting is all throughout the New, new Covenant. 
So we find that Anna was a prophetess who served in the temple, and she fasted. Um, I don't know if you recall Anna, but when St. Mary and St. Joseph brought the baby Jesus to be circumcised, he was met by Simeon, who prophesied that this child would be for the rising and fall of many. And he was also met by Anna. And we find in uh, the text from Luke that Anna fasted in the temple. We see primarily that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Now, if you were here for last Sunday, my sermon was basically, I'm basically just going off my sermon. Um, the 40 days that Jesus fasted were to recapitulate Israel. Israel failed God and walked for 40 years in the wilderness grumbling and complaining. So for 40 days, our Lord fasts without grumbling, complaining, and doing the will of his Father. And we can see from that example right there, it's not the giving up of the food, it's the obedience that's involved in that. Jesus assumes fasting for his disciples. Um, he's going to tell them, when you fast, when the bridegroom departs, then you may fast. Um, nowhere does he say, well, I've come to do away with fasting, I did it for 40 days, so we're done. Going forward in the New Testament, we see it is assumed that Christ's disciples will fast. We see that fasting is intertwined with prayer and with spiritual combat against the devil. Yes. Oh, dear. Yes, I am mute. Uh, so we're covering fasting. Uh, we're talking about fasting as abstaining from food, but it's really an act of the will. It's the interior disposition uh, to put God first above material goods. I'm sorry for those that were watching um, that you missed that first part. So prayer is intertwined with exorcism, spiritual warfare, and uh, with prayer. If you notice, the apostles fasted after Christ's ascension. They weren't fasting just because we're sad Jesus is gone, so let's have a pity party and we'll forget to eat. I was taught that the only type of New Testament fasting that was real was when you were really intently concentrating on God and you just forgot to eat. That probably is a type of fast, but that does not involve an act of will. Um, we see in the New Testament that even after Christ ascended, so the disciples were assured of his resurrection, they're not sad about him being dead, they practice fasting, and they do so before they make important decisions. St. Paul, right? He's the libertine. You can do what you want in Christ. You have perfect liberty because you're living under grace and not the law, except he taught abstinence and celibacy. We also see that he took a Nazarite vow. So fasting is all throughout uh, the New Testament. Nowhere do we see it ending. Christ said that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So you need to be real careful about jumping on the bandwagon and saying, well, that's Old Testament doesn't apply to us. Um, I would say the Old Testament does apply to us, um, but we understand it through the lens of Christ. So, all right, the purposes of fasting <coughs> is not to look like this guy. This is some sort of, uh, I, believe, I believe it's Buddhist, it could be getting that wrong, uh, saint or demigod that's fasted himself so badly you can see his spine. Um, you're not fasting to make yourself a better person in the sense that you're going to lose weight or finally kick cigarettes or whatever. If, if you do those things, those are fine. But those are just uh, bonuses. The purpose of the fast is to direct the will towards God. So, without further ado, 
The first principle purpose of fasting is discipline. See all our soldiers lined up here. Um, discipline's hard, especially in our day and age, because we're taught to indulge ourselves at every moment. Um, we've got a, a cell phone. I don't ever have to be bored. I can whip this out. You may have seen me looking at my cell phone right before class. I was bored. I pulled it out and looked at my cell phone for a minute. So we do have a lack of discipline in the modern world. Fasting will remind you of what you value. Because when you give something up, you may say, well, it's easy for me to give up um, chocolate. Or it's easy for me to give up this thing. But when you do it, you'll begin to realize what's important to you. Um, do you think about that thing all the time? Do you focus on it? Do you can't wait for the fast to be over so that you can go back to it? And really what fasting should do is start to remind you, what are you clinging to? What are you attached to? Or, like, I love coffee. And one year I gave up coffee. It was rough. And I realized, wow, coffee is really important to me. There's other things I've done that too. You may have given up something and you may not think you have that strong of an attachment to it, but then you realize you do. <clears throat> and the reason for this discipline is to draw closer to Christ. What this should end up doing is you're like, well, coffee is really important to me. Is Jesus this important to me? Do I get this irritated throughout the day if I forget to say my prayers in the morning? Probably not. I'm probably a nicer person if I forget to pray and drink coffee. But that's a problem. Um, so really, when you fast, you're reminding yourself of what's important because you may discover that cheese is important to you, or your television show is important to you. And that should make you stop and think, wait a minute, is Jesus as important to me as these things I've given up? Since we are made of body and soul, just matter and spirit, what we do with one affects the other. This, we are not Gnostics. A lot of times Gnostics engaged in very rigorous fasting because they believed the body was evil. They looked like our Buddhist saint who was killing himself. Um, the, uh, there's a heresy in the Middle Ages, um, the Albigensian heresy in southern France, and there were basically Gnostics there, and the priest of the sect would starve themselves to death because they believed the body was evil. And um, it was considered almost like a, a badge of honor to die from self-starvation. That's not Christian at all. That's heresy. Um, but... What we do with our material body does affect the spirit and vice versa. So if you have no control over your body and you say, well, I cannot help myself. I have to smoke. I have to um, have my cup of coffee or whatever. Um, but, but I'm still a good Christian. I still you know, pray and all that. I would wager that if you have a problem controlling your, yourself, your physical appetites, you probably also have a hard time at, at some part of your, in your spiritual life. Because if you're undisciplined in your everyday material life, you're going to be undisciplined somewhere else. So the point of disciplining the body is to also discipline the spirit at the same time. They should go together. Remember that it's the interior act of the will that gives meaning to the fast. So outward fast should lead to an inner interior act of the will. Discipline and fasting will help instill discipline in other areas of our life just as in prayer or doing charitable works. Um, so we need to be careful with discipline, and we're going to talk about this later when we get towards the end. 
Discipline is good. But remember, the goal is Christ. You can be so obsessed with discipline that um, if you break your fast at all, you beat yourself up all day long. And I've done that before. Um, so discipline is good. It's right. It should lead to union with Christ. If you're more concerned about your discipline than you are with Christ, that's also a problem. All right. So, another thing that fasting does for us is it should be entwined with the prayer rule and recollection. So, does anyone remember kind of like what the prayer rule thing was from last class? Let me give a breakdown of what I mean by prayer. If I say, what is your prayer rule, what would you say to me? Okay. Your prayer rule is how you pray, basically. And I said, most people's prayer rule is I pray before I eat and I pray when I get in trouble. That's their prayer rule. Um, uh, you can have a prayer rule. I'll say I say my, my morning offices, my evening offices, and I do the, the Angelus in the middle of the day. That's a prayer rule. So uh, when we're talking about prayer rule, it's just a pattern of prayer that you set for yourself. So fasting should sort of involve your prayer rule, and it should involve an act of recollection. Recollection <clears throat> is remembering God, making God present in your day-to-day life. So. Fasting should form a part of the holistic spiritual life. By holistic, we mean whole. It all fits together. Um, I like to think of the the Catholic faith as a holistic way of theology. If you pull one part out, it's like a Jenga tower, right? The tower starts to shift and tumble. You can't say, well, this isn't necessary. I don't need this part. I can get rid of this part. Uh, Because basically what's happened in our modern age we boiled down Christianity to what I call the bare essentials. How do you know if you die tonight, you would go to heaven? You know, what's your assurance of salvation? So you, you have a stock answer, well, I put my trust in Jesus. That's right. That's true. But, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do these other things. You shouldn't fast, or you shouldn't pray, or you shouldn't um, attend church. Uh, so fasting should be part of a whole effect during Lent. It should involve your prayer life, your life of um, doing charitable works. So that's why I say fasting is part of the holistic spiritual life. Um, really, the ascetic life is simply the Christian life. It's discipline in all parts of your life. All right, so by fasting from temporal goods, we make room for spiritual discipline. Sometimes this can be quite literal. If you always watch a movie every evening, uh, when you get home from work, that's the way you relax. You watch a two-hour movie, and then you take a shower and go to bed. Well, if you fast from that movie, you've got two hours to do something else. You could say your prayer office. You could read your scriptures. You could spend time with your family actually talking to them. Um, so in a very literal way, fasting can give you more time for spiritual discipline. But I would also say that by fasting, remember, we're reminding ourselves by fasting of what's most important. So when we begin to realize that we've placed um, pleasures of the body above spiritual pleasures, we should start to right that order and start to bring it back into a balance, into a holistic balance. The very act of fasting should bring to mind recollection, the reason why we fast, which is Christ. Um, So a simple way to do this is that if you go through your day and you're craving a cigarette or you're craving a cup of coffee, Remember why the reason you're craving it is because you fasted and you're fasting for Christ. So uh, fasting should be, a, should be a constant reminder of Christ. I'm giving up this thing 
because I want to remember Christ and dwell on him. You could even make that part of a rule. Like whenever I feel a craving um, for chocolate, I am going to say the Lord's Prayer or something like that. But it should bring to mind a constant recollection because what we're trying to cultivate is an, is an attitude that as you walk throughout your life, every day, every moment, you're remembering Christ. And that's hard to do. But if you've got this gnawing pain in your stomach, that'll remind you I'm hungry. I'm hungry because I'm fasting. I'm fasting because I want to be closer to Christ. Uh, and another very practical way of, that fasting helps us in our spiritual life, it gives us empathy with others who may suffer. And it could lead us, hopefully, to value our, our material goods less. It should inspire almsgiving or charitable works. Um, I mean, there's people starving to death today. There's, some of them may be charlatans, but you can drive downtown Greenville and see people begging for food and money. Um, and, you know, they, we think that we're, we're, we're poor. And I, I, I'm poor. But when I, when I went to the Philippines and saw people living in chicken houses, I was like, I'm not doing too bad. Um, so uh, fasting can lead to empathy with others who suffer. And the world suffers, by the way. Um, I don't know how many of you, how many of y'all have been to third world countries, traveled, visited? Yeah. We are really richly blessed in the Western world, and that's Western Europe, the United States, and Canada. And, um, it, we are at the, it's just, there's a lot of people who do not have it as well as we do. Subduing the passions. And we have our man who's really upset. So passions, let's talk about what are the passions. That sounds like a fancy word that people throw around. But really, um, going back to the church fathers here, the passions, what happens when our bodily appetites gain the mastery over our rational intellect. And what do I mean by that? Bodily appetites aren't bad, right? We all get hungry. We all need sleep. We all need to drink. Um, we all have, um, feel a need to have a mate and a partner. Um, and different things, but what the fathers would say is that in Adam's fall, the human nature was broken to an extent where those things, which are secondary, or appetites, gained the upper hand and were controlling us. So that now, now we're obsessed with getting food, safety, shelter, a partner, reproducing, and those things overwhelm us in our, our own imminent death, overwhelm us to the point where they control what we do with our life. Um, I always hear people say, you may have heard this, this ridiculous saying, all wars are fought over religion. That, that's baloney. All wars are fought about money and power. Because that's all people want after the fall is money and power and security. So that's what happens. One of the consequences of the fall is that those appetites to keep us safe and healthy and happy gain the upper hand over uh, our mind and our spirit. This leads to, leads to things like gluttony, lust, greed, anger, and jealousy. Hunger is real, and feeding yourself is good. But if feeding yourself is good, then feeding yourself more and more and more and more, it has to be better, right? No, that, that's gluttony. We should practice temperance. If you know, having children and having a partner is, is great, and God gave us um, sexual appetites for a reason, why can't I have seven wives, or a hundred, and a thousand kids? You know, just... Make my own nation myself. Uh, but no, that, that's the problem. Uh, remember, the appetites of our, our passions have gained the other hand where we don't keep those things in balance. We're not satisfied with a cup of cold water and a piece of bread. 
we want steak and a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with that either, but we keep wanting more and more. In the modern West, we are trained, like I talked about, to be entertained at every moment of our lives. With no room for boredom, we never learn to cultivate stillness and to practice being present in the moment. This, hap- this is what I struggle with. Um, just, just try turning off your cell phone, like turning it off. Think about leaving your house without your cell phone. That's a disaster. I've got to turn around. I'm going to be late to work. doesn't matter. I have to have the cell phone. Um, and there may be important reasons for that. Maybe, you're, maybe some of your business revolves around you being on a cell phone, but it could also be that you just want to play the latest game or have the neatest app that tells you all the trivia questions that you can stump your coworkers with. Um, and I see this, uh, I teach, um, I'm at a middle school now, it's an afternoon part-time job. I keep kids whose parents can't come pick them up. These are middle school kids. They had their face in a screen 99% of the time, they're sitting in my class, and they're not doing homework. They're watching random YouTube videos or music or pop stars. And so from a young age, we are training our, our, our young people. You cannot be bored. You have to be entertained all the time. And sometimes I tell my daughter, my four-year-old daughter would be like, Daddy, I am so bored. At four years old, she's already doing this. And sometimes I'm like, I guess you have to be bored. It's not, it's not terrible. Um, so really, by fasting, we should be recognizing some of these passions. Um, they're like snakes, right? They're in the bushes. And then when you rustle the bushes, that snake pops out and you chop its head off with a hoe. So the fast is rustling that bush. And when that snake of, of hunger or I don't want to be bored or I want to watch my movie pops its head out, you see it. That's when you chop its head off with a hoe. Um, so by fasting, we're learning to control those things and to calm ourselves down. This should lead us to overcoming these appetites, or at least attempting to, to being present in the moment and calming the body and spirit. The reason we do this is not just to be calm. Remember, union with God is the point of all this. We're being calm to let the Holy Spirit work in us. Um, so does anyone uh, want to share a story about does anyone, I'm curious, has anyone tried this, like just putting the cell phone down for a day, doing a media fast? Has anyone, is it hard? Is it, does it bother you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I, uh, I did a social media fast one year, and man, it, was, it, makes you realize how, it made me realize how much time I spend on social media. You don't think you do that very much until you take a fast from it, and you realize, I do this all the time. Okay. Hierarchy of goods. So... I stole this phrase, sort of. It's my own terminology. Who knows Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that Maslow has the right idea or that you should go and find that and be inspired by his theory because I think he's probably got a lot of problems with it. But I stole the term sort of from Maslow. who He posited that um, you've got bottom needs down here, which are base, baseline things, and as you go up, they become more and more spiritual. And my problem with that is that he would say that if you're not happy and healthy and well-fed, then you can't succeed in these other things that are more important. And I would say that for human beings, we, learn, we need to learn to set those happy and healthy things to the side and focus on God. And this is inspired a little bit by St. Augustine. So when I mean the hierarchy of goods, I mean that God is at the top. God is the most important thing. 
uh, and all things in this world are good. People are actually right when they say, I believe people are basically good. That's true. Uh, but what they forget sometimes to tell you is that people are also very broken. But everything is good as God made it. But they derive their goodness from God. Nothing is good in itself. And we can love creatures and creaturely comforts if we understand that we love God in them. So when you, and I would say, um, it's, this is a struggle for me because I love my daughter. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I love her a lot. I have to realize that God gave her to me. And that if he wants to call her home or something, that's, that's his. I remember, I'll never forget Father Paul. I was telling a story about Ariana wanting to talk to Jesus or something. And Father Paul said, well, of course, that's, that's his little girl. He meant that's Jesus' little girl. And that really struck home with me. It made me realize that although she's my daughter, really she's God's creature first. Um, so fasting should make you realize those things that you value by themselves are not great. They're, they have value because they come from God, because God gave them to us. And therefore, we have to understand that we can put all those things to the side. Fasting is about putting things to the side for union with God. Um, so that's why if you are obsessed with even something like, like, I would say even the prayer book. If you say your office is all the time, which is good and great, but you're actually just obsessed with the physical act of saying the offices, and it it's, really doesn't have anything to do with God, that's wrong. You can make an idol out of anything. Um, so, uh, rarely when I see hierarchy of goods, we want to reorder ourselves so that God is at the top and everything derives from God and that we aim for God. Um, this should also make us realize that, that we're not Gnostic, but there are spiritual needs that are above bodily needs. Fasting is generally about controlling bodily needs to discipline the spirit because the spirit allows a greater participation in God who is spirit. Okay. Does anyone have a question about hierarchy of goods or anything I said right there? Comments? Okay. All right. Types of fasting. And these are basically my um, suggestions, but a lot of these are traditional in the church as well. So obviously you can fast from food, and generally that's certain types of food. I used to think fasting was complete abstaining from food, and I'm like, I would die. And you will if you go for too long. But... Uh, really, what the church has generally done is abstaining from meat. Uh, some people um, will abstain from certain types of sugar, chocolate, coffee, alcohol is traditional as well. Um, tobacco is another, is another common thing to fast from. Marital relations is a common um, type of fast. And the important part about that is that it has to be mutually agreed to. You should talk to your spouse about this. If, if you're considering a type of fast involving that. Uh, modernity, this is, I think, a big one for us, of course, is all our screens and our social media. And types of fasting, mutual packs that can involve marital relations, or you can make a pact with your friends. Say you always go out with your coworker, smoke a cigarette, have a cup of coffee first thing in the morning when you get to work. Well, maybe you make a, a, a pact, maybe your friend's a, you know, Catholic or Anglican or whatever, and you say, listen, why don't we give up that cup of coffee and cigarette? We just go out and talk. Uh, and that is actually can be good because it can lead to a little bit of accountability. And you can discuss things. So you, you, fasting, 
Uh, you shouldn't brag about your fast to other people, like, I'm giving up, da-da-da-da-da. But if you have a partner or in your family or a, or a friend, um, I think it can be beneficial to make mutual packs. Okay, particular fasts. <clears throat> um, three of these are right out of the prayer book. So Anglican Church, in our prayer book, mandates a total fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And... I'm just going to let you know, I think I've been successful at this once. I've, and I haven't been in Langton that long, but four years, I think one of these days I went the entire day without, I think I may have had a glass of water in the morning. Um, so that's, that's the goal, right? But realistically, I've, I've got to take my daughter to school. I have got to um, go to work. I've got to drive my daughter around. If I don't eat all day long... I'm going to pull somebody's head off, and that's not good either. So generally, um, you do what you can. Fast, if you can't fast totally, then fast from a certain thing, or fast for part of the day. Um, sometimes people will eat uh, like two snacks and a small meal, or something like that. The ember days, four times a year each season, this is actually a, a fast time of the church. And Fridays, actually every Friday is supposed to be a fast day. Now those are not total fasts. Generally, um, you fast from something on the Ember Days and Friday. And you, uh, especially here, you know, fish on Fridays. Fish Fridays used to be a big deal. Um, That tradition, having a fish fry on Friday. But those are the, the three times that the prayer book actually mandates a fast. It's total fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. A... Partial fast on the Ember Days and Fridays. And uh, the last one is very traditional that a lot of Anglicans practice and a lot of, uh, a lot of Christians practice it, is you fast before the Eucharist. Um, and this can vary. Some people are really hardcore and they don't fast t- from, from the sun goes down on Saturday till they partake of the Eucharist the next morning. Uh, I believe the Roman Catholic Church in the West says you need to fast an hour before you partake of the Eucharist. Anglican Church doesn't mandate any of that. Uh, you can come in drinking your Starbucks coffee, and I'll, I think Father Paul will commune you. you know. um, but it is a, is a pious and good practice to, to prepare yourself to receive the Lord's body and blood that way. And that's another thing we need to get on is um, in fasting, the, there is a tendency to be a hypocrite, to be judgmental. So if you fast from sundown on Saturday till you receive the Eucharist at 11.45 on Sunday, and you're wonderful, and you see your brother pulling out of McDonald's loaded down with coffee cups and biscuits, and he's coming to the Eucharist too. Don't, don't judge your brother. It's, the Lord will convict him if he needs to be convicted. All right, so that leads us to the knife's edge. And I call this the knife's edge because if you fall off one way, you, you make an error on one side. If you fall off the other way, you make an error on the other side. Um, Father Paul has talked about this a little bit in communion. In the Western church especially, there's such a fear of receiving communion unworthily that for hundreds of years, the lay people barely received communion at all. It's like, well, if, it's, if you can't receive it worthily and no, one's wor- no one is worthy of communion, um, we better not take it. Well, that was wrong. Um, so let's be careful falling off one side or the other. So I have my, my golden means, the... The knife's edge. So on the, on the one hand, fasting can lead to being very much a rigorist. I have to keep this fast, and if I don't keep it perfectly, then I'm a terrible sinner. Well, 
No, uh, you, you need to be a little flexible. But on the other hand, you can say, well, why fast at all? I mean, I fail every day at my fast, so I'm not going to do anything. The fast is something you're trying to do. You will probably fail at it. Most people will tell you if you're doing a good fast, you're going to fail some of the time. Get back on your knife's edge and keep walking. Fasting could lead to being judgmental. You pick it on that guy with the uh, cup of coffee and the biscuit walking into church. So the guy walking in with the biscuit and the cup of coffee goes, man, I can't fast at all. So I'm not even going to try. Once again, that's the knife's edge. The guy who's always judgmental because he fasts perfectly. The guy says, it's just too hard. Why bother? I'd be a hypocrite. I'm not going to fast at all. You can be a Pharisee by being judgmental. That's bad. It's being a hypocrite. On the other hand, if you don't ever fast at all, you can be like, no, I'm, I'm living by grace, not by law. So I'll just do what I want. I won't bother to fast at all. You can't get to the point where you can't make a mistake without punishing yourself viciously. You beat yourself up. Um, Father Paul will tell me that, that I have this problem. I'm, I am super scrupulous, so I will like break one little rule that I made and like just agonize over it. That's, that's, that's actually bad in and of itself. On the other hand, I could just be like, well, I'm, I'm never going to correct my mistakes. I'm always going to make them, so why bother? I would also say that Keeping the fast leads to anger or depression. You make someone's life miserable. I would rather you not fast. Um, but you can fall into the other camp. Fasting makes me angry, so I'm not even going to try. So really, it's about finding something you can do um, and being willing to fail at it, but after failing, to continue to try. Um, so those are just... Uh, some pitfalls on both sides of the knife's edge. Questions or comments on fasting? Anyone want to share any stories? <laughs> yes? When I was in high school, I had a Roman Catholic history teacher who got into a discussion with a Roman Catholic student. Okay. Right. Um, well, I, have, I don't know if the Pope did that to increase fishing. I, I have no idea. Uh, uh, it's possible. Um, I would say all those things are actually what I would call church disciplines. None of them are like dogmas. So um, if you look, the Eastern Orthodox Church has a slightly different fast than the Western Church does. They fast a lot. They fast a lot more than we do. Um, it, well, and I would also say, well, look at the New Testament. I mean, God tells his people certain foods not to eat. And I would say it's always been human nature to pick on certain foods. Uh, Muslims don't eat pork. Some people consider certain types of animals unclean. Um, and I think, I don't know the reason for all that. I don't know why God picked 
pig meat as, as, as why the Jews couldn't eat it. But I would say probably it had to do with reminding yourself that something's more important than bacon. And God, had, God picked something, right? They, uh, they tend to be proteins and carbohydrates. Yeah. Tends to be things that, that have to do with muscle, things that have to do with uh, energy. It, so that the fast actually slows you down yeah. and makes you weaker, for lack of a better word, so that when Easter comes, your strength returns with the resurrection. Uh, I'd also, I would also say, going on top of that, that I personally feel it might have to do with something to do with killing. You kill an animal to consume it. Um, some early Christians became vegetarians, and some of them took that too far, but that was a practice because they're like, Christ was the final sacrifice. We sacrificed lambs and ate that flesh. We no longer need to do that, so they became vegetarians. So maybe killing is involved with eating meat products as well. Does anyone else have anything for us? Yes. Yes. So during the many Sundays or the many Easter's. Right. I battle. So if I do fast from Sunday. Right. I battle if I. Okay, let's say I gave up chocolate. Right. So today I go and have a piece of chocolate. Yeah. I'm doing the rest of the Right. So, so there's the. Right. So, um, Sunday is a, a mini Easter, so a lot of people will say, well, I don't have to fast on those days, and that's, that's right. Um, some people, and I found myself in this camp, if I've given something up, but I wait for every Sunday to do that thing, I'm sort of undermining my fast. Leave it to your personal discretion. If you can pick up the thing on Sunday and not let it bother you and break your fast on Sunday, great. Um, I would err on the side of not doing that thing on Sunday because I know me, um, I would just wait all Sunday to, to smoke my pipe or to have that cup of coffee, you know, and it really is not actually helping me. But yeah, you can break your fast on Sunday, but that's at your discretion. So, yes? It really is kind of what you're saying, a personal Yes, very much so. People that live in don't like fish. Right. So they go, ew, I'm going to eat fish. Whereas if you go down and get fish and chips, and all that nice, whiskey, grease. So, I always find it ironic that we have a pancake supper, to start Lent, because my Lenten meal sometimes is pancakes. There's no meat in there, right? So I got this huge stack of pancakes with butter and honey and toppings, and I'm like, man, I'm really suffering during Lent, you know? <laughs> so. There's that tend to accompany uh, Lent, and one of them is the Lenten recipe book, the Lent cookbook. Yeah. All these tasty recipes for Lent, try this. If, if, if what you're trying to do is to make all of your meals more attractive and more tasty, you're kind of missing the point. If, and also, fish can be excellent. Yeah. If, if, you, if you live on the Gulf, a Gulf Coast and you have low country boil and you have fish fries, you're not suffering during Lent. <laughs> so, anything else before we go? All right. Thank you so much. I will see you shortly.